0: You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with hosts Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9, exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best eats and tunes from your neighborhood and a weekly pairing for your date calendar. Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the hosts, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds. It's Peanut Butter and Jams.
1: Yes, it's Peanut Butter and Jams and unfortunately Brenda could not make it this week. Um again, uh, 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 uh but she is getting a date calendar, so a day planner. So uh this should never happen again, she assures she assures you, the listener. You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM and this is Peanut Butter and Jams. Uh we've got a lot of good stuff for you this episode. We have Kevin Chong, um author of uh, Beauty Plus Pity, and an excellent book about Neil Young uh, coming in. We are not going to be talking to him very much about either of those things, though. What we are going to be talking to him is about two articles that he wrote for The Walrus, Um, one about the state of Chinese food uh, in the nation, but mostly Vancouver, and uh, one about um, the state of Canadian whiskey. Um, So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but right now I am going to put, oh, what, oh, I almost forgot one other thing for you. Um, there is also a, or an interview, or with a new, uh, new correspondent, you may have heard her last week, Jessica Chow, um, who will be talking about Maynom, um, which actually we can start the show with. Um, all right. So, I am here with uh, Jessica Chow, that is your name, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, who was with us uh, last week um, from Village, but now she's with us as a peanut butter and jams correspondent. Jessica has been to Mainam and done something that uh, I was never brave enough to do, which is order the nine-course meal. But first... What is what is Mainam, if, if someone didn't know?
2: Well, Mainam is kind of like a... If, you, if you've if you been to Vidges, it's just like a fancy version of uh, Indian food. Mainam's kind of like that. It's like a fancy version of uh, Thai food. Uh, the head chef there is Angus Ann, and he used to own Gastropod, but uh, now he's kind of like switched over to go back to his roots and make Thai food.
1: Right. It's on <laughs> Fourth Avenue.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: What sort of dishes are on the menu?
2: Um, sort of dishes, well, uh, they have a wide range of things. They actually, aside from the nine-course meal, they also have like the five-course meal if you don't want to go mm-hmm. too crazy. Um, actually, I can't even remember most of the menu on top of my head, to tell you the truth, because I came there with a mission. Mm-hmm. And that was like the nine-course meal.
1: Right. They do ha- They have like a variety of like, really good versions yes. of, of classic Thai food yes. like where you they use Thai basil a lot they use uh spicy green chilies a lot mm-hmm. um there there are curries and there's some rice involved yes although that not in every dish it kind of depends on yes on what you're getting um so tell me about the nine course meal
2: it starts with appetizers and then goes into soups. Do so you get,
1: then, like, three appetizers and then the first, three entrees and then three desserts?
2: It's, well, the first plate was actually a sampler, so it was kind of uh, three types of things on that one plate, but it still was one plate, so. Okay. So you got to sample, you could even say you got to sample more than just nine dishes. But, um, okay, I'll start with the first one, actually. Uh, first one we had was, uh, we had fried oysters. hmm um, with a, it was like a tamarind sauce. It's like mm-hmm. a nice tangy tamarind sauce as well as chicken sautes with peanut sauce. Mm-hmm. And then we had a spinach frittata with pickled cucumbers. Mm. So kind of like a cucumber relish actually.
1: And that was all just one dish. That
2: was all one dish.
1: Okay. What was the second dish?
2: The second dish was a soup. Okay. And, uh, it was like a halibut lemongrass soup.
1: Okay, so that that sounds like it's a light, but still, still got something delicious yeah. in it. Yeah.
2: One interesting thing about this lemongrass soup, though, um, when I had it, I was like, okay, I usually like to eat spicy foods, mm-hmm. but this was ridiculously spicy. It was crazy spicy. I was really like. So you, as surprised. an experienced
1: spice eater were over outspiced yes. by some of the dishes was it did this happen multiple times during this nine course
2: well here's the thing it was so spicy and i was just like oh my gosh i don't know what to do and then the waitress i think she kind of anyway she came by and she asked us if um if it was too spicy and they if it was they could make it again and my boyfriend just said actually you know we'll, we'll try it out. We'll, we'll do it. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) he's the type to not eat spice as well. So had he
1: tasted it at this point?
2: Yeah, he did taste it already, but I guess maybe he's feeling brave. So then we just, we just braved the whole thing. And then, uh, everything else from that soup was kind of smooth sailing.
1: Okay. So if you can get past that spice, then everything else will be unspicy in comparison. Yes, actually that,
2: that's what was the thing. We had some food left over and we brought it home and then when we tasted it like the day after it was like, "Oh my gosh, this is actually really spicy." And so maybe uh, So it's soup, worth, it yes, really it really worth it to eat the really spicy food. Yes. It is really worth it to eat the spice soup after you've made that hill. Everything is actually not that spicy. And yeah, it was really good. Um the next dish we had was uh it was
1: What was the best dish you had?
2: The best dish was um this tuna salad we had mm-hmm. here we had this amazing seared uh just like lightly seared tuna mm-hmm. and then it was on a bed of like lettuce but like also fresh coconut shavings and this mm-hmm. nice coconut dressing mm-hmm. with all these all different kinds of thai herbs such as thai basil slasho and there's like a nice lime juice just to give it a little bit of uh tartness and it was really nice
1: If one were a vegetarian, would they be able to do this dish?
2: I definitely think so. Because the first thing they asked me, actually, when I came in was, you know, do you have any kind of allergies or anything? for some things, like, for instance, the peanut saute sauce Mm -hmm. actually has, like, some shrimp paste in it. Although I'm allergic to shrimp, I'm not, like, crazy allergic. But they also gave me that option. I was like, okay, I'm not like, I will still like to eat, like, whatever your specialty is. But, I mean, I'm not, like, extremely uh, allergic that... You know, it's not going
1: to kill you, but you were mildly me. allergic to
2: shrimp. I'm, yeah, I'm mildly allergic to shrimp, so they, they took care of not like any kind of like a lot of shrimp in there, but if there's like increment, like a mm-hmm. really small amount of shrimp, then it was okay.
1: okay. Um, is it different every time, or is it the same? Not, do you, I don't know. I don't know if you've done it more than once. Have you done it more than once?
2: I have not done it more than once, but I have heard about someone who has done it, mm-hmm. and it was also like a different course. So I like to think of it as like the Thai version of omakase.
1: What is omakase? Say.
2: It's like the Japanese version of like a long course meal, but it's the chef's choice. Like, the chef will just prepare you a bunch of food. Like, we came into this place. We didn't know what we were going to eat. We just kind of said what we're allergic to. It's
1: just kind of a chance for the chef to show off for a little bit. Exactly. That's not, or um, for a long bit. I guess. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and just prepare you an amazing meal. So in the uh, the Japanese omakase, this is very similar. Mm-hmm. You just come in and just trustingly, the chef will make, like, well, whatever. It might be sushi or whatever.
1: But the chefs there are very good, so they're worthy of trust of course yeah um would you do it again
2: i would definitely do it again actually a friend of mine had a birthday uh not too long ago and she asked me where she should go mm-hmm. with her parents and i was like oh well you should get a main am i how much was it well it's 45 dollars a person mm-hmm. Uh, for nine courses, but that is such a good deal. I mean, for nine
1: courses, it, that's nine
2: courses, that's five dollars. Like a course, a, yeah, exactly.
1: Which, yeah, if you're gonna eat that, if you're gonna eat that much, that's a good price for it. And it's
2: and it's like high end and like a lot of great attention to detail and quality ingredients. I mean, it's a really good deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I have. I, we don't have a huge amount of time which is why I haven't allowed you to talk about every single course. Fair but enough. are there any other courses that you feel like you should bring up before before I let you go?
2: Okay, let's see. Well, actually, the curry was the other thing that was my favorite. It was like the... Sorry, actually, can I not talk about the curry? No
1: curry. We're, what do you want to I, talk I about instead? I love curry,
2: but um, what I want to talk about is the dessert.
1: The dessert? Okay, what was the dessert? Uh,
2: we had mm. a... Um, Chocolat pot de creme?
1: I don't know what that is.
2: I say it's pot of cream, I guess, in French.
1: Chocolate pot of cream?
2: Chocolate pot of cream. It's like chocolate mousse. When you
1: don't say it in French, it doesn't sound nearly as appealing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a more liquefied version of chocolate mousse. Mm -hmm. And it comes in a little glass pot, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was really nice about it was it had like a little cookie on top. And on top of the cookie was a... Uh, tamarind gelato Mm. tamarind is like this tamarind is
1: used a lot in South Asian yes yeah
2: and this particular mix was really interesting because you got this really tart um, ice cream and it's it's a it's a little bit of an exotic flavor too I mean Mm -hmm. it's just not like your average tart fruit it has this kind of caramel Esque Mm -hmm. flavor so it's a sour almost like a caramel sour caramel Mm -hmm. on top of this cookie and you got this nice sweet chocolate that's not too sweet and then the marrying of the two flavors is really interesting so Mm -hmm. definitely another exotic experience okay
1: that sounds great um well let's get back to the show but thank you so much for talking to us my pleasure The alphabet has only 26 letters. With these 26 magic symbols, however, millions of words are written every day.
2: Pick up your winter issue of Discorder, as the Jansember issue is packed with goodies that will warm even the coldest of cockles. Take a dip with Dixie's Deathpool, a spacey art rock collective, or read up on local outsider pop music makers, World Club. Cozy up on the couch with Filmstripped, featuring a review of Color Me Obsessed, a documentary on the replacements. And in case you missed the memo, 2012 is almost here. Check out the Discorder album picks of 2011. Don't forget to pick up your special Jan Sember issue of Discorder.
0: Yeah, the state of hip hop right now, man, as far as the way I see it, um... I think right now, um, hip hop is advancing as far as skills. You got brothers, you know what I'm saying, getting like more witty. There ain't nobody to be
3: pretty for. Let it rattle, let the clatter kill him. let the cataclysm wash. Who really listens? Precision with a verse draws a cry. Draw a line between an easy melody and peace of mind. Uh-huh.
0: You got DJs doing all kind of crazy shit on the turntables. <laughs> I like, I like where it's going, and I like, you know what I'm saying, the creative process that brothers is trying to take it to right now.
2: Rally Rells and Brendan Butter in the place to be. Crimes and Treasons Radio, 101.9 FM, Vancouver. CITR.ca, every Tuesday, 9
1: till 11.
4: Dynamite!
1: That was Ants and Uncles off of their uh, EP, which is called Self-Titled EP. So it's called Ants and Uncles. Um, so that was... Uh, a, that's a It's a pretty great EP. I actually really like every song on it. Um, if you do get a chance to listen to it, you should. Um, take a look at uh, Red Cat or Zulu if you want to go pick it up or check out their... MySpace or Bandcamp and uh, see how you can get a hold of it. Um, so if you you are listening to Peanut Butter and Jams, and I am Jordy, the host, uh, currently. Um, normally my co-host Brenda would be here, uh, away on other meeting time right now. Um, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, um, tell us to review something, uh, you want to contribute to the show, Any any reason whatsoever. You can email us at Peanut Butter and Jams at sorry, peanut butter and jams radio at gmail.com. That's uh peanut butter and jams radio at gmail.com. And uh what have we got coming up now? We have uh some music by a lady who is only kind of from here, I know with local local music, local food, but she's from Victoria ish these days. Or, or at least she was in the past. She's still Canadian, anyways. This is uh, Catherine Calder's new album. This is from. This is a song, Who Are You? This album, I have only just been able to listen to it in, in more than just a song or two off of it. And it's really good. You should, If you like this song, you will probably like the rest of the album. Well, even if you don't like this song, you might still like the rest of the album because it, there's some diversity in what's going on in that album. And then after that, I'm going to follow it up with an album or with a song by Immaculate Machine back when Catherine Calder was still in the band. And uh, so you can uh, check out a little bit of Catherine Calder history right here. Um, But right now, this is Who Are You? by Catherine Calder off of her new album, Bright and Vivid. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the UBC Westside area at
2: the Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books,
1: the Bike Kitchen, the Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyles Grill, Gum Drops, Proson Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus, or check us out online at citr.ca. And you are listening to Peanut Butter and Jams on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver, and I am your host, Jordy. I have just had confirmation from Kevin Chong. He is on his way. And uh, he will be here soon. Um, While we are waiting for him, though, aren't you interested in learning about the brand new best pizza place in town? Um, I may be exaggerating because I have not actually eaten at every pizza place in town. Um, But I have eaten at a fair number, and this one is the top. Uh, Brenda and I had a conversation about this, and it is called Pizzeria Barbarella. It's on uh, Fraser and Broadway. Ah, I'm not going to get into too much detail. Uh, I'll, it's all in the recording. Here you go. Hi. Um, this is Peanut Butter and Jams, and I am here with uh, my co-host Brenda, and we're going to have a discussion about Pizzeria Barbarella. Yum. Which uh, we went to separately, but we've both been to it.
5: So, is going to ask me questions, and then I'm going to throw them back at him.
1: That's exactly what's going to happen. So, um, what is Pizzeria Barbarella?
5: Well, Pizzeria Barbarella is a new pizza place. Uh, It's uh, billed as New York-style pizza, but people have been writing reviews saying it is also Napoli-style pizza. So, a bit of a cross between the two. I'm really excited about this pizza place because it's around the corner from my house. There's not much to go to at Fraser and Broadway.
1: I'm really excited about it because the pizza is spectacular.
5: It is. And there's a kind of cool little story. Uh, The head chef from this pizza place used to run a pizza place in Abbotsford called the Beats.
1: Yes, which was kind of, at least among my group of friends, it was kind of legendary. As this, like, if you're in Abbotsford, make sure you stop At this pizza place because the pizza is so good. And I even knew someone who would drive from Vancouver to Abbotsford just to get a pizza and then he would drive back. No. Yeah.
5: And I I have a friend. It could be the same friend. Probably not. But uh, my friend used to go and eat pizza there with the band You Say Party. So there we go. Local music, local food connection.
1: Yes. Um, (coughs) So what did you get while you were at Pizzeria?
5: I had the pizza diavola, and it has tomatoes, mozzarella, spicy salami, olives, Parmesan cheese, and olive oil on it, and it was very tasty.
1: So it's an olive oil-based pizza as opposed to a tomato-based pizza. Yes. Um, Did you go with anyone else, or were you on your own?
5: Uh, I went with my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, the It was a neat experience because the place had only been open for, it was the third day.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: So uh, they didn't have mirrors in the bathrooms. Like, everything was super sparse as if they just sort of nailed the tables together and put things up. No pictures on the walls. Just very sort of simple, basic, I'm not sure how much was more. weird
1: because I was there on the second day they were open and they had pictures on the walls. <clears throat>
5: Oh, sorry. There were just a few. Like, just a few old family photos. Yes.
1: Um, It was named after the owner's (coughs) mother, Barbara.
5: Who recently passed away.
1: Yes. And I guess maybe uh, it's uh, partially inspired (coughs) by her.
5: Mm Mm-hmm. So the place is super sparse, decorated. Not sure if they have plans to change that, but it was kind of neat to go to a restaurant in its first days of inception and then... Over the next couple of weeks, we'll probably go again
4: mm-hmm.
5: and see how things go tonight. Tonight and see how the uh, how the restaurant evolves over time. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us about the pizza you tried, Jordy?
1: Um, I went with my girlfriend, and we got two different kinds of pizza. Uh, we got the Salsicchia, which is a tomato-based pizza in a more traditional sense um, that has uh, sausage and some pickled peppers on it, which was, uh, I think, my favorite, just because every, like, their tomato sauce was really good, their crusts were really good, like, every single ingredient on it was perfect, and then there was, they added them all, and they just added together to make, like, what pizza should taste like. And then, the other one we got was a little bit more experimental, it was called the uh, Bianco Rosa. Um, which is a pistachio pizza. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. And um, <coughs> it has onions, pistachio, like small bits of pistachios, cheese, and it's an olive oil base. So uh, it's not exactly like uh, like a pizza with tomato. A tomato base. It's more of an olive oil based pizza, and the pistachios give it a really interesting texture. Um, they almost ended, they were very rich and they uh, made the piece pizza taste delicious, but not necessarily exactly like pizza.
5: Mm hmm. Plus, with the rosemary.
1: Yes, there was rosemary on it too.
5: Mm mm-hmm. Which makes it more like pieces of green on top of crust.
1: It was more brown.
5: More brown? Yeah. Okay.
1: I guess after the cooking process, it mm-hmm. ended up looking brown.
5: So, who would you take to this pizza place, Jordy?
1: When I was there, I saw that there were um, a lot of families there, uh, which I thought was interesting for a place that, a pizza place that everyone was really excited about, see a bunch of people bring their kids. Um, there certainly was room. I don't know, It as the place gets more fleshed out and feels more like a restaurant and less like a cement room with some tables in it, um, it might become more of a, a gourmet destination. But as it is now, it seems like a good family destination. Uh, but in the future, I'd keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Because as the, as it decorates, it could change.
5: The tables are really big, and it feels really spacious and open, so it's a good place to go with a group.
1: Mm-hmm. And good to order pizza with a group, as you can switch slices. And,
5: and mix and match. Did you ever, um, when I was little, we used to have a, a pizza game where you got a pizza and you had to collect toppings and then you could like steal other people's what game, pizzas. What was game
1: called? I remember it, but I don't, I never played it. It was just a game I saw commercials for.
5: Um, I, I will look this up. <laughs> okay. So that during the live show, you can tell people about the pizza game. This was and a was it a
1: fun game.
5: Yeah, we okay. really liked it. So you decide what kind of pizza you were gonna have, and because you had to collect certain toppings, mm-hmm. and then if you got the switch card, you could steal someone else's pizza that had more toppings on it. And then, when your pizza was full, you won the game. Ah, okay. Hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, so this this whole conversation about pizza kind of connects to the conversation we had last week on our show about different pizza places in Vancouver.
1: Hmm. And this one, we were, I don't know if we I don't remember if we mentioned it. But it just opened, and it's it's the best pizza I've had in town, so check it out. And uh, it's not I don't know if they're doing takeout yet. They weren't doing takeout when I was mm-hmm. there, but they said they will get the stuff to do <laughs> it in the future. So hopefully they'll be doing it by the time I go there after the show tonight.
5: Uh, I just uh, saw on their Twitter that... As of two days ago, they are offering takeout.
1: Ah, so they started takeout now. So if you happen to live in the area, but you don't want to sit in a cold cement room just for great pizza, you can just go pick it up. Yeah. In the comfort of your home.
5: So just before we close off this little segment about Pizzeria Barbarella, um, just wanted to note that uh, several of the people who have put this restaurant together, several of the owners, are also musicians.
1: Which musicians are they?
5: What a great question, Jordy. Uh, I personally know uh, a guy called Basil Wah, who works at UBC, but he is um, involved in this restaurant and plays in the band Spring Break. There's also a guy, Jeremy Grumman, from the band The Clips, and he's heavily involved and also doing some carpentry.
1: In The Clips or Clips?
5: The Clips. Um, so apparently he did all the carpentry and used wood reclaimed from the Pantages Theater, which is very cool, mm-hmm. taking a wood from a venue
4: mm-hmm.
5: and incorporating it into a restaurant. And uh, the owner, chef, Terry Dean, is also plays jazz. Oh, cool. What does he play? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this would make a really great follow-up interview to talk to if- people about about their music and also about what, the challenges uh, Terry Dean. Terry Dean, the challenges in opening a restaurant.
1: hmm. We, maybe we can get all three of them on at the same time.
5: That would be fun.: That would
1: be fun. All right, well, we'll see what happens with that.: um,
5: Yeah, okay, we'll move on and uh, to the rest of the show.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: Did I tell you I am sorry and I Friends with me, I know.
2: home from school look quite content with life. And why not? They're looking forward to an important date, dinner at home with the family.
5: What's the matter? Doesn't that sound exciting to you?
2: Luckily, UBC students have lots of on-campus dining options. World-famous blue chip cookies. Located on the main concourse of The Sub, Blue Chip features yummy baked goods and cookies made in-house. Blue Chip opens at 7 a.m. to serve all your early morning latte needs and has proudly served certified fair-trade organic coffee since 2004. This business is owned and operated by the AMS, your student society.
1: Ah, yes. World-famous Blue Chip Cookies. Uh, So, just before that, you were listening to The Oz off of The Oz Nation um if you happen to see the album do not be put off by the art on it which is terrible i'm sorry whoever did the art maybe you you can work on it um but it's kind of got this lolita ishy look to it and there's like some weird racial stuff going on it's just a weird weird mess but the actual album itself, the music on it is really good, and they're, all the songs are really, really short. So I wanted to play two songs for you. So that was "Onion in My Pocket" and "Too Young for You." Um, sitting in the studio with me now is Kevin Chong. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Jordy. Um, Kevin is a prolific writer, or uh, you are you? Would you describe yourself as prolific? Uh,
3: in terms of, uh, I used to be a very prolific uh, freelance writer. because I used to mm-hmm. you do that? Strictly as a way of making a living, so I just turn them out left, right, and center. But now I've been teaching less, and I'm less prolific, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> and it seems like I'm a little prolific these days because I have a book that just came out, and I have another book that came that is coming out in April. And so,
1: so the book that just came out is Beauty Plus Pity.
3: Yes, that's a novel, Beauty Plus Pity. And, and
1: the book that's coming
3: out—it's uh, a memoir called My Year of the Racehorse.
1: Oh, great. Okay, well, unfortunately. That's not what we brought you on to talk about. That's fine. We brought you on to talk about um, two things, and uh, one being whiskey, and the other, which we're going to go into right now, Chinese food.
3: Chinese food, yes. Yes. You Apropos. Wrote
1: a, you wrote a great article for um, The Walrus about the state of Chinese food and people's attempts to uh, modernize it, would you say, or modernize it? it? Yeah,
3: yeah, modernize it and make it more like... Uh, more of a fine dining experience or not as fine dining or uh, give it more atmosphere at the very least.
1: So, uh, to maybe class it up a bit at least.
3: Class it up or make it more like something that you would uh, – a place where you would take a date to. Like I think, I think one of the uh, proprietors described it as sexify.
1: To to sex it up? To sex it up, yes. Was that the owner of, uh, in the article you talk about, uh, this article is available. Online. Online uh, at the Walrus's website. So if you are interested in reading about it after you hear this, or reading along. Yes. uh, (laughs) We're not (laughs) doing it in order. Don't don't read along. Um, But if you do a search for Kevin Chong, uh, Chinese food, it'll pop up almost. I think it's the number one hit. I think that's how I read it.
3: It really should be the number one hit. I don't know what else it would be. Anyhow.
1: Um, yeah, so he talks about a number of places, and they're all, almost all Vancouver, I think they're all Vancouver places in the article. It's Wild Rice, Baobay, um Terracotta. Terracotta.
3: And there's a, a Zen, Zen Modern F- Fine Dining, I think it's called, and it was named the uh, the best Chinese restaurant outside of China by a woman named Jennifer a. Lee, a New York Times reporter who wrote a book called The Fortune Cookie Chronicles, which is a, a survey of... Uh, Chinese food outside of uh, China.
1: And where is that place?
3: Uh, it's in Steveston now. It used to be somewhere else. It used to be uh, uh, on a strip mall, in a strip mall uh, in Richmond. But now it's uh, it's a nice place. The service is not so good. But the, I like the food.
1: But the food is spectacular? Or I wouldn't the say food it's spectacular. Is, it's pretty good. It's the food is good, the yeah. best Chinese food outside of China. Do you agree with her assessment?
3: Well, I haven't probably eaten as, as many restaurants as she has. Uh, that, seem, that does seem like a stretch. But, you know, when you're well, you're making proclamations like that. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there quibbling, so mm-hmm. I'll take your word on it. Okay. It's kind of great. I've had the best, and uh, now I don't have to worry about it.
1: So how would you say that these uh, restaurants are attempting to modernize uh, Chinese food? Like, What are they doing to ch- change? The, is it just the atmosphere, or is the food itself changing, or a bit of both?
3: A lot of the times it's the atmosphere. Sometimes uh, the modernization comes in terms of Uh, using modern technique or using uh, sort of uh, sourced ingredients in the way that you would source uh, ingredients uh, at a fine dining establishment. Uh, Sometimes it it could be trying to skimp on cornstarch, as is the case with wild rice. Sometimes uh, restaurants claim to be MSG-free. I'm not sure necessarily the places I uh, went to were like that but uh, and uh, sometimes it's it involves a little bit of repackaging there's like uh, there were some sliders at terracotta uh, I think there were some sliders at Bao Bay uh, modern Chinese food is different from fusion Fusion is like uh, you're taking a Vietnamese flavor you are taking, taking a your Japanese flavor. flavors from different. Countries and,
1: and mixing them all into the same menu? Yeah, yeah.
3: Fusion would be that. Pan-Asian would be that. Modern Chinese is trying to stick strictly with uh, Chinese so-called flavor profiles. Uh, Baobei sort of is a little bit out of the lines because sometimes they, they have sake in the menu and they'll mm-hmm. have, they have a carpaccio. But but for the most part, it's just Chinese food in a, in a restaurant that's kind of stylish for uh, 30-something sort of boho types.
1: And even chi- within the realm of Chinese food, there's so much diversity that they can, like, saying Chinese food is almost a fusion in and of itself just because there's Cantonese and Sichuan and all these different styles. Yeah, when food.
3: when you're mixing it up, if you want to mix it up in, in terms of Chinese eating, you're going to go to a different style. You're going to go to a mm-hmm. different region. You're going to go, yeah, you're going to Sichuan. you're going to, sh- you know, Shanghai's, like Northern, uh... Chiu Chau, which is like a, a little region that my family is from originally, a Taiwanese, like, mm-hmm. or you can go for like you know congee or noodles or hot pot. Uh, There's di- yeah different sort of types of places.
1: Um, so these people are attempting. I, I, in the article, you compared it to um, Vidges. Like what Vidges is doing to Indian food, these people are doing or attempting to do to Chinese food.
3: Yeah, but no one, no one that goes to Vidges and thinks, wow, you know, this is like Indian food for white people. I, I, or maybe I haven't heard it. Maybe I'm just not
1: I haven't really heard that either. It still tastes that, really you know, spicy. Like, and I mean, I, when I've been there, admittedly, there are more white people there than there would be at maybe just any other like Indian diner. Yeah. But um, that doesn't, there's like Indian people aren't poo-pooing it and saying, oh, that's, not good which i would like to get to because yeah. your article mentioned it some chinese people or are are actually or were actually detracting from some of those restaurants yeah in like yelp reviews and probably amongst themselves honestly i i've i've done it myself when i went to Bay the yeah. first time i was like this is
3: good it's kind of expensive it's very expensive yeah, yeah. and like that's that's the crux of most of the argument you know like you're really just paying for atmosphere. You're really, you know, mm-hmm. you're really, uh, you're paying for just these fancy ingredients, you know. And and for a lot of people, that's enough. You know, you're paying for uh, being able to go to a place where you can bring your friends and where you're gonna have a cocktail uh, that's pretty decent. Because uh, you can't do that at a Chinese restaurant. You can't really have a, an amazing old fashioned uh, Chinese at a Chinese restaurant. No,
1: you can get a beer. Sometimes
3: and you're gonna you're <laughs> gonna be like in a giant table, uh, with a big starch tablecloth and the lighting is gonna be really bright and and that's not great sort of first date sort of uh, that's material. That's true.
1: You want the low lighting so that you look more attractive or at least it's more confusing. They yes, can fill in the blanks. With yes, what they you want you want to you wanna
3: be in a room full of people with hipster glasses and, uh, but I, th- I I think the food at Babi is is really good and and I think. Like you know, another complaint is the portions are so small. You know, and and which
1: is basically the same at any fancy restaurant.
3: It's the same as any fancy restaurant. And and how many times do you go to a Chinese restaurant and you get way more food than you want? You have
1: <laughs> usually. Well, sometimes you want that, but that's more so you can take it home and then eat it for
3: breakfast. But you, you or end up whatever. I went for dim sum uh, on Saturday, and it was it, we went to uh, Sun Sui Wah, and and there were a bunch of us, and we ordered way too much. It all ended up being like twenty bucks a piece. Which was great. <laughs> I
1: I've had that happen at Sansuiwa myself, where I think it, we ordered more food than we could like there was a, there were, we barely finished, but it was kind of the, at the end where it was like, You have to eat this. You didn't you didn't have as big a breakfast as I did, so your job is to eat the rest of this dish sort of thing. And people were like, Oh I guess
3: yeah, I was yeah, I think I was I think Chinese kids are raised on this sort of uh you have to finish what you uh you finish your bowl kind of thing. I had this sort of uh this old uh, saying said to me that that if you the, the the amount of rice that's left on your bowl will be uh will predict the, the complexion of your future spouse. You know, like if you <laughs> if you have a lot of rice on your future bowl, uh, on your bowl, your, your your wife one day will be really, really spotty. And uh, so.
1: Is it just the rice that does it? Because what if you have some sauce left in the bowl? Does that mean.
3: She's like, going to have watches have on have her a, face. Have a, a port wine stain on her face. <laughs> uh, I, I sure hope not. I haven't really uh, thought through that. Um, but yeah, you, we went to Sun and we just ended up. Um, fighting over who had to take the leftovers home. Mm-hmm. And I almost lost, but then uh, I was driving someone home uh, after he went curling, uh, after our, our dim sum outing, and he hadn't gone to dim sum, and I gave it to him. Gary. Gary, oh. exploding head moves. Exploding slash, head movies. Gary, yes. he has
1: a show on Monday nights.
3: He got stuck with the the dim sum. It was right before that his... That
1: doesn't sound like a terrible thing. Yeah,
3: he didn't pay for it, yeah. and he... Uh, and he was going, the next day. I think he he started some sort of paleo diet, which was a caveman a caveman diet that's carb free. And so he had a big ton of carbs via okay. dim sum.
1: That diet sounds insane. I'm gonna to have to ask him about yeah. that next time I see him. Yeah, I've never heard of a caveman diet,
3: but so I'll, I'll talk to him more about it yes.
1: before I offer any major criticisms. Uh, but so. I, when it comes to taking food home, I'm usually not too resistant. I'm like, oh, you take it. And if no one else wants it, I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll take it. i, I oh, like yeah, make the extra food. I'm kind of cheap. But
3: and I just don't want to cook a lot of the time. You know, like that's I'm, true. I'm, I, I, my New Year's resolution was to try to lose some weight because diabetes runs in my family. So I've been trying to skimp. The dim sum was really hard for that. But uh, normally I'm more than happy to take the, the leftovers. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, why did you find that people were... Uh, critical of this modernization? Was it mostly an, a food thing? Uh, I, I, I know that you said that someone w- was... Did, were people mad that it was just different than what they were used to, or...?
3: You know what? I think it's A, price, above all else, but the other criticism I heard, is, it's just Chinese food for white people. And I guess in we have a... What Vidges doesn't have that Bao Bei might have is this tradition of of, uh, sort of bastardizing a cuisine Mm -hmm. for, uh, a Western audience, you know? And so there's this sort of, uh, reticence that comes, uh, when Chinese food is consumed, uh, in a restaurant where there aren't that many Chinese people, you know, like you think the idea of authenticity is really, uh, important in, uh, Chinese eating Mm -hmm. in North America, I think. Mm -hmm.
1: And I I have heard people say that like the way you can tell a good Chinese restaurant is you look at the you walk down the street looking at the Chinese restaurants and the one that has a whole bunch of Chinese people in that's the good one.
3: Yeah, and I <laughs> interviewed a, a a great uh Montreal uh artist named Karen Tam, whose parents used to run a Chinese restaurant and, and her parents always told her, you know, just because they're Chinese doesn't mean they have good taste, you know. And I think that's <laughs> true. Um She did a really great installation where she would go to a city and collect materials to change an art space into a Chinese restaurant. It's funny how you can construct a space and what it means to construct a Chinese restaurant and how people behave differently in an art space that's converted into a Chinese restaurant. I think what she does is really interesting.
1: Um, was there anything that I'm missing about the article, or anything that you've any like revelations that you've had since you wrote the article that you kind of wish could have been in there?
3: I wish I talked a little bit more about MSG. You know, I I, I, it's something that's not—that's uh...
1: actually a really interesting topic. People are either so against it or so for it. <laughs> I, I, I know that like the people who are for it. Are like oh those health reasons blah whatever I just love how savory things taste usually yeah and the people who are against it are like well there's been studies cancer what what was what did you find when you were researching the article about MSG
3: I did I just ignored it you know like there's there's it's pretty hard to avoid MSG in Chinese food even though it's a relatively new. Uh, Thing in Chinese cuisine
1: was that originally a North American thing or no? It's I think it
3: was invented by a, a Japanese chemist maybe in the middle of the 20th century, but uh, it's it's very prevalent. You know, my dad used to run a an, an old age home mm-hmm. uh, for Chinese people, and uh, he would instruct the cooks not to cook with MSG. But they would just do it anyhow because you know <laughs> they just thought it would make it better, you know. And and there are so many things that there's MSG in, you know. Um, uh, just just in terms of uh, even like bouillon cubes and and uh, I was I I was on Vancouver Island or, uh, around New Year's and and I was like eating sunflower seeds and my girlfriend was saying that uh, there was msg in them and i was saying to and her spitz? yeah and spits and i said to her like if msg has done something to me it's, it's already done it's, it it's already run its course yeah. yeah msg can't be more in my system than it already is
1: i do feel that people worry a lot about msg when it's not it's not something that you eat every day anything you i, I kind of have the opinion that anything you have in moderation it's probably unless it's like cyanide yeah, probably not going to kill you.
3: There's some people who have MSG uh, allergies, you know. No, and I and, guess and they, if you go to a allergies. Chinese restaurant, it's just sort of like you've got nothing to eat. It's kind of uh, complicated.
1: Yeah, even they put it on a lot of different things. So it's hard, it, I don't even know how you'd tell. I guess you'd have to learn if you had an MSG allergy. I think you'd
3: have to learn, yeah. I, I wasn't that conscious of it until very recently. Hmm.
1: Okay, well, why don't we go to a song, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about whiskey. Excellent. Uh, So this is a song by Synth Cake, and it's off of their album Musicophilia, and this is the title track.
0: I stare into your eyes and really try to see, but no matter how I look, I still seem so ugly.
1: That was actually a song by The Oz. This is the song by uh, Synth Cake. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. We know how magnets work.
4: If magic is all we've ever known, then it's easy to
0: miss what really goes on. But I've seen miracles in every way, and I see
4: miracles every day.
1: And we're back. You are listening to Peanut Butter and Jams on CITR 101.9 FM. I am still here in the studio with uh, Kevin Chong. Um, we just had a conversation about Chinese food, and now we're going to uh, switch topics. Um, just before you did, that was uh, Synth Cake off of their Musicophilia EP. And uh, then there was a station ID that sounded kind of weird. By, by the, It said miracles. Um, but you were listening to CRTR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Um, so, Kevin, you also wrote an article about uh, resurgence uh, in interest both by brewers and drinkers, or stillers, stillers. distillers, and drinkers, yeah. um, in Canadian whiskey, um, or it's is a, it rye whiskey?
3: It's emerging uh, this. Uh, it's emerging this sort of interest in Canadian whiskey. I think for a long time it's been a very dormant product, even though it's very popular in Canada and around the world. Uh, at one point, Canadian whiskey was really, really a giant, like uh, James Bond. And Dr. No drank Canadian Club.
1: In the book or the movie?
3: In the book. And uh, Queen Victoria would drink Canadian Club. It, it was such a ubiquitous when was thing. When
1: Queen Victoria, what year was that?
3: I don't remember. She, she used it in, uh, for, like, uh, to treat her indigestion. She mixed it with some water and something else. So, she,
1: that must have been, I, I don't know when Victorian times were, so I, I, I have a hard time.
3: Late nineteenth I, I, century. I okay, would
1: that that makes more sense because otherwise Canadian Club is like that. I, I'm realigning my history okay. right now, and I thought Victorian times were much longer ago, and that Canadian Club had been around for centuries. But
3: it's been around quite a bit, mm-hmm. quite a long time.
1: And it started. It it was originally owned by a Canadian company called Walker Hiram Walker.
3: Canadian or, Club, it it's. All this information is—is uh, is it it's too too far back? too distant? Yes, it's it's out of my mind. When brain did you right write now. this article? I think it appeared in 2010. So 2010. Yes.
1: Yeah, actually, I bumped into you at the Brick House, and we talked briefly when you were researching it, which is yeah, yeah.
3: I was probably drinking whiskey then. Yeah. But uh, rye whiskey—it's funny. There's uh, Canadian whiskey is called rye whiskey, even though uh, many Canadian whiskies don't have much rye in them. Uh, there's Don't like, they have
1: to have at least fifty percent? No,
3: no. Uh, Alberta Premium, Alberta Springs, uh, that sort of line of products is one hundred percent rye. Mm-hmm. But uh, some uh, distillers only use rye uh, in the flavoring whiskey, which is what gives it the flavor, and and most of the most of the actual whiskey, which is more reminiscent of vodka. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the flavoring whiskey is mixed into uh, is uh, consists mainly of corn.
1: It, it's so, it's, but it's, it's a corn, but it's more like vodka than it is, say, like bourbon.
3: Uh, well, the, the 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 whiskey that's mixed into the mixed with the flavoring whiskey is is uh, is really high proof, and uh, yeah, it's corn, and but it's not bourbon.
1: Okay. Did you get to go to a distiller? Yes. You, you so you went on more a tour of some one or two or? I went to
3: Windsor, Ontario, and I went to a distillery. Yes.
1: Oh, that sounds really interesting. How big was it?
3: It was very big and, they, and it produces it was the I forget what the name of the distillery was, but it produces Canadian Club and Wiser's and some other really leading brands. Seagram's is based in Gimli, Manitoba. And uh, then there's some distilleries in Alberta. Presumably well.
1: Alberta Premium is Alberta in Calgary Premium. or Edmonton.
3: I think it's in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's uh, I think there's a little distillery in Nova Scotia that produces uh, a, a Scotch style whiskey. Yeah, that's the one
1: that had the Glenn Breton. The yeah, the copyright of dispute with the Scottish Whiskey Association. Whiskey. Yeah. yeah, about and whether or not they could have the word Glen in their title.
3: Forty Creek in the Niagara region is a uh, pretty nice whiskey. It's pretty cheap and made with a lot of care. And, and they're doing some stuff that's kind of uh, updating whiskey. You know, like like for whiskey, these days, like whiskey keen, whiskey's thought of largely as a value product. You know, it's cheap. You can buy it in a giant jug for $40.
1: You don't feel bad when you pour it in some Coke or, yeah, or, or yeah. soda or whatever.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and I think Forty Creeks doing some cool things where they're using uh special barrels or they're, they're finishing some whiskies in uh sherry casks, which is something some Scotch Stillers have been doing for a while. They uh Wiser's has some small batch uh uh brands and uh and that's how you get the an excitement, excitement around uh, a drink, you know. You have these sort of ultra premium iterations. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you have to go to Windsor because there weren't any distillers that you could tour in in the area? Or were you, you just happened to be in that area All right. anyways?
3: Um, I wanted to do a good job with the article. You know, mm-hmm. the article, I definitely didn't have a, a travel budget really to, to go to Windsor. If I was strictly trying to to get every cent out of the article. But mm-hmm. I just, I had took enough of an interest in, in it that I decided I was just going to, drive out there, or fly out there, and uh, see the distillery.
1: Um, Have you seen the distillery? There's a a gin distillery in Victoria now that has...
3: Shelter Point?
1: uh, Victoria Gin. Okay. um, Which they've just done gin for now. They have, I'm told they have whiskey that's aging. Yeah. And they can't actually, they haven't existed long enough to sell their whiskey.
3: It takes a while, yeah.
1: Um were you I did I read in I think it was in your article that um whiskey has to be aged for 3 years minimum before it can be sold.
3: I forget the time frame but I think it's 3 years. Um yes, and then there's rye whiskey is uh there's some dispute about what rye whiskey uh whether Canadian whiskey should actually be called rye just because of the the, the whiskey content. Also there's an American version of rye whiskey mm-hmm. that's uh that was very popular, like, maybe before Prohibition times. George Washington made that, rye made whiskey. That's made a resurgence recently. Yeah, when yeah. When I
1: was in the States, I went to a liquor store, and I was out of, just out of curiosity, I went to see what the Canadian whiskey selection was. And they had a Canadian whiskey section. Yeah. And then they had, uh, which had, like, your Canadian Club, your Crown Royale, uh, Wiser's, I think, um, stuff like that. And then they also had a rye whiskey section. Yeah.
3: Whiskey uh, with an e, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah
3: they spell whiskey with yeah. an e too. Uh. Yeah, and and I like some of those. Uh, uh, there's a uh, one called Old Overholt, which is the kind of a really basic uh, bar whiskey that I like to drink. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like twenty bucks in the states, and it's I really like it because I can just I can thrice in it, and I don't really feel too bad. Uh, there's a there's an American rye called Whistle Pig that's actually made from Canadian rye. Mm-hmm. It's made from some sort of flavoring whiskey that. Uh, some Americans got a hand, got their hands on, and that's really tasty. And uh, people like this uh, whiskey called Sazerac, uh, which is oh,
1: uh, well, I had that a little while ago to make Sazeracs.
3: Yeah, Sazerac's yeah. Also, it's a it's a type of rye, but it's also the name of the yeah, world's it's called, it's oldest called,
1: cocktail. It's called Sazerac rye. Yeah,
3: yeah. And their eighteen year old version of Sazerac rye, which is one hundred eighty dollars at Legacy Liquor Store, it was. Named the whiskey of the year maybe two years ago by Jim Murray, who is the author of Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible.
1: Right. Oh, and, you talk about Jim Murray's Whiskey yeah. Bible a bit. I've um, if if you don't mind digressing a little bit, what is whiskey or what is the Whiskey Bible, the Jim Murray Whiskey Bible? Like, what do you get if you if you're reading that book?
3: It's a tiny little handbook that uh, that offers you uh, one connoisseur's impressions of. Multiple whiskies from around the world, multiple types of whiskeys from around the world. So has he thousands
1: of whiskeys gone out of his way to like drink thousands of different types of whiskey and then and like recorded his thoughts on? Yeah, he drinks
3: them? them at different places and different times, and and the the master distillers that I've talked to. Uh, I uh, really respect his opinion. They, they really think he's got a brilliant palate. Whereas I don't have that kind of palate where I'm, I'm tasting, you know, like, cigar shavings or whatever, you know, like... And to
1: some degree, you have to develop it, don't you? Well, I mean... You have to develop it. You have, it, have you to have develop to. it, but I guess to some degree, like, what does it matter if you're enjoying it? It doesn't matter if someone who has a more sophisticated palate enjoys it less than you as long as you're enjoying it. Doesn't it?
3: Yeah. No, yeah. as long as you're enjoying it. I think as you get older, your, your palate gets a little bit more... Uh, uh, discerning.
1: And your wallet gets to be able to support your palate a little yeah. bit more, too.
3: Yeah, but then again, I, I don't like to necessarily drink a lot of whiskeys that I have to write an essay about. You know, I kind mm-hmm. of just want a, a kind of uncomplicated whiskey when I'm sort of sitting down at the end of the day. That's why I don't drink a lot of scotches these days because I just don't – I don't like the peat that much and I don't like
1: uh, – I like the, the smokiness, but I don't really like the peat, the, mm-hmm. the peatiness and scotches that much, but yeah. I just um, since we're on the topic of Canadian whiskies, I just tried a new uh, whiskey coming out of Ontario called Collingwood.
3: Collingwood, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, which they age in maple casks, mm. and uh, it's very, very smooth. Yes. Um, it's like one of the smoothest whiskies I've. It was. Very, it did, it, I would say it went down like water, but it, it wasn't like water. But the bite there was there wasn't any bite. Okay. But it had flavor, but no bite, or very little bite. It's nice. Anyways, yeah. Which was uh, if you're and they uh I was I tasted it actually at this event put on by the Canadian Bartenders uh Association at Legacy um which we will have on the show next week Nice um so if you are interested in learning more about uh what sort of new spirits are coming out
3: I think Jim Murray was actually uh is or was appearing at uh Legacy So you know what here's a tip that I I got from a friend uh, that there's a, a better liquor store than Legacy in West Van. Uh, I think the 16th or 18th and Street liquor store. Mm-hmm. It's apparently the liquor store where they can uh, where they where go, and they they have a lot of hard to find bourbons and American ryes and scotches that uh, aren't as marked up as they are at Legacy. Because Legacy, you're really paying a lot you're paying it, it, if you're
1: going for the rare stuff you are if it's something that's just basically you can find it at the BCL but it happens to be at Legacy it's yeah. usually only like an extra dollar or two but that's true
3: but apparently at this store in West Van like even the, the hard to find things aren't marked up that much oh that
1: sounds interesting wow. i don't know if i will make a trek because legacy is legacy is within walking distance of my house and that's i think nice. that it's worth a bust. Uh, it's worth the price of a bus ride to pay or to pay the price of price of a bus ride more just to go to legacy to me okay time in my life that would take to go unless there's something i could only find uh i'll i'll look into this later. yeah I'm, I'm curious
3: maybe one day if you happen to be in west fan mm-hmm. i've yet to be there did you
1: happen to um Encounter uh, uh, in your research other a lot of other people's reactions to uh, Canadian whiskey and what they thought about it or were you mostly talking to distillers
3: to distillers you know like I, you know as I was writing the article, I encountered people who had different impressions about Canadian whiskey and how you should drink whiskey and uh, a lot of people just look down on Canadian whiskey they think it's swill, but you know if you have a bad glass of uh, jim Beam. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, all bourbons stink. Or if you have, you know, a Johnny Walker Red, it doesn't mean that Scotch stinks, you know. You, a lot of people just don't have had good experience with candy whiskey because, you know, they get rammed down their throat at the wrong time in their life. Um, s- but, yeah, I, I did have some... Uh, I did get some f- uh, flack because I, because I took an interest in that. Uh, and, and people just are kind of snooty about how you should drink whiskey, you know. There's people insist you shouldn't drink drink it with ice or mix Coke into it. And I agree you shouldn't mix Coke in it when it's, like, a really uh, fancy whiskey, or you shouldn't throw ice in it when it's, like, a $200 bottle, two bottle of whiskey. But if it's something that's pretty uh, cheap, then you should do whatever you want with it.
1: Yeah. And well, you, if you find a, a way to make it taste better mm-hmm. to you, I don't know. It's a, like, if you have trouble... Maybe maybe two hundred dollar if you buy a two hundred dollar bottle of whiskey and then you feel like you need to add coke to it, maybe you shouldn't have bought a two hundred dollar bottle No,
3: of no, you you're not doing yourself a favor. I was actually uh at Mongo Bingo at the Electric Owl last week and right before I left I won a twenty five dollar bar tab and I and I was driving And, uh, so I bought my friend a couple of beers and then I still had a beer left to go. So I, uh, I found some, I found some, a group of people at a table and asked them if I could buy somebody a drink Mm -hmm. and it was a girl's birthday. And and so I said, can I buy you a drink? And she said, sure. I'm drinking Jameson and Coke. (laughs) And I, I kind of retched a bit inside, but, uh, I bought it for her anyhow, you know, she should do what she wants to do to have a good time.
1: Yeah. I... I know a lot of people who have a fondness for Jameson. Yeah, as, uh, with Coke. Um, no, not usually with Coke. No. Usually they just shoot it. Yeah,
3: it's Jameson. Jameson yeah. in a in a Guinness, you know, an Irish car bomb. That's yeah, that can be wrong fun. With a
1: car bomb. Yeah. Well, unless unless you're driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True that. Um. So a lot of people do seem to have opinions about how to drink whiskey. Do you find that? Maybe like it's it's nice. I, I find actually find it kind of refreshing that uh, people are still out there who like like to drink their Jameson with their cokes yeah. or their get, oh I'll just get a Wiser's and soda or whatever. Um, where it seems like it's so unpretentious in, in a way, and uh, like they they end up enjoying it. And for, to some degree, the 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 price point of Canadian whiskey has always spoken to that yeah like kind of blue collar ideal.
3: I agree with you, yeah, and that's what makes a Canadian whiskey pretty unpretentious, which is nice and which uh and that's one of the things that uh really bother me about being a whiskey drinker is just the people who are the know it alls and uh and you talk to people like Jim Murray who know way more about whiskey than you'll ever know, like and they're not that uh they're not so holier than thou about it they they are pretty open-minded about what you should do with your whiskey and whether, how you should enjoy it, you know. And 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 I was reading an article by uh, a guy uh, who wrote a book about steak, uh, Mark Schatzker, and he was talking about how uh, there's a s- certain segment of steak eaters who look down on people who want a steak well done because it ruins steak. But he argues that you know, people in Argentina – where they consume steak three times a day, uh, they like their steak well done. So, you know, like, you should... It's en- just a cultural... It's a cultural thing. You should yeah. enjoy, enjoy it the way you like it, you
1: know. Um, of uh, rice that you uh, sampled while you were tasting, do you have any spe- special recommendations?
3: Uh, can't go wrong with Alberta Premium. The Jim, Whiskey, uh, Jim Murray... Uh, considers it's one of the great whiskeys of the world uh i really like 40 creek Mm -hmm. all their various products uh i like wiser small batch a lot um but um
1: did you find you ended up appreciating uh, canadian whiskeys or rise a lot more after writing this article or did you find that you appreciated them like did you go into this article being like i need to I need to redeem Canadian whiskey? Or were you just curious and then...
3: I'm more curious than itself? anything. And uh, I did develop more of an appreciation for it. These days I drink more bourbon than anything else. I like American rice. You're just, I, I kind of like the mouthfeel in a bourbon. I think they're uh, distilled at a lower proof. Whereas I think uh, Canadian whiskeys and Irish whiskeys, and Irish whiskeys triple distilled, they're a little uh, thinner. They're a little more... Uh, uh, they're they're at a higher proof and, and they just feel a little lighter. And
1: what are the major things that distinguish a Canadian whiskey from these other ones? Is it like the amount of times they're distilled or is it the rye?
3: Uh it's the rye, it's the wood, uh it's just the style. I don't know. Uh, there, are different, there are definitely a lot of sort of uh variables that you throw in which uh give uh, a whiskey uh it's uh its character, you know, and, you know, with scotch, you have the peat and, uh, and with Irish whiskey, you have the, the triple distillation and, uh, um, with Canadian whiskey, it's, it's the lightness. I think that's Mm -hmm. something that really, uh, is something that a lot of people sort of, uh, liken to Canadian whiskey that they talk about when they, when they cite it.
1: Right. Okay, well, um, thank you for coming yeah. on the show. Uh, I'm just going to put a song on, and then uh, if you want, right before we go, we can talk a little bit about your upcoming book, just so people know what to, what to look forward to. Do you want to stick around for that? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay sure. great. So this is um, actually two songs by a, a band called Phone Calls. Um, they're, songs, they're so short, I had to put two on.
2: Thursday, February 2nd, CITR is proud to present the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra at the Rickshaw Theater. Tickets to these Canadian post rockers are available in advance at northerntickets.com and at the Northern Tickets box office located at the Vogue Theatre on Granville Street. Advanced tickets are also available at Red Cat, Life, and Zulu Records. Doors are at 8 and the show starts at 9.30. Guests are to be announced. Again, that's the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra playing at the Rickshaw Theater February 2nd.
5: Jazz is a word that means many different things to many different people. The best definition of jazz that I know of is THE Jazz Show on CITR with yours truly, Gavin Walker. Monday nights, 9 to midnight, with the jazz feature at 11 o'clock. Check us out every Monday.
1: And we're back. This is Peanut Butter and Jams, and we're just wrapping things up with uh, Kevin Chong. So you have a book that just came out called Beauty Plus Pity, um, but you also have, that's a work of fiction, and you also have a new book coming out, which is about a racehorse. Right. What's that book called?
3: My Year of the Racehorse, and it's about uh, how in 2009 I owned a share of a racehorse. And... uh, Allowed me to meet some interesting uh, barn yard, uh, backside characters and to uh, experience the joys and backside sorrows.
1: Characters is that uh, is that a racehorse term for? Yeah, people? yeah. The front side
3: is where you know people go to bet. They hang out where the stands are. And the backside or the backstretch is uh, the barns, the barn area, and it's where the trainers and the hot walkers. And the jockeys and the exercise riders hang out.
1: So you you hung out with the the, the backside people. Um, you, you what was your horse's name?
3: Mocha time.
1: Mocha time. Yeah. Did Mocha time. Win anything?
3: She won two races the year I owned her, and she finished in the money uh, most of her races. She I think she ended up winning twenty rand that year, which is a pretty good sum for a horse. Who uh, is running at a pretty low level?
1: Mm-hmm. So, did you bet on her? Or were you
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as an owner, you're technically only supposed to bet on your own horse in yeah. in your race, but no one's watching you, so you could bet against your horse right. if you wanted to. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted to th- make your horse throw the race, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But I never did that, and uh, or at least you didn't. Write yeah, about it. I, I wanted to. I always wanted the extra thrill of winning money on a horse that you own, so I always bet heavily on my horse it was sort of like betting on the Canucks on Bodog uh last uh last summer and that didn't pay off well but i you know if if it did it would have been did you end up double the fun yourself no no i'm I'm too terrible of a gambler to uh to really get on a roll and start gambling very much you know I lose pretty early. And, I mean, and consistently then you, you feel like you got bit, and yeah, drove. and then, and then I pull out, and then every once in a while I 'll sort of forget about that and gamble some more, but it 's uh, very low stakes
1: um, what did you cover in this book? What did I cover yeah it, like is it just talking about like your interactions with the the people or with the horse, or is it like a little bit of history in there there 's
3: a little bit of history. I go to Kentucky and I, I see a breeding shed, I uh, go to Saratoga for a big race called the Traverse Stakes. I go to Woodbine. I write about being in Hong Kong and seeing at the races there at Happy Valley. I uh, uh, and I, you know, write about my own sort of uh, personal journey. I write about how, uh, at that time, you know, I likened the trials and tribulations of a racehorse to being somebody who, who you know, as you get older, you try to chart your progress in life uh, to other friends, and I have two uh, friends that I write about who, uh, who I compare myself to. These friends are kind of composite characters, but you know, they're based on real people and stuff like that.
1: Sounds, uh, sounds pretty good. How can someone uh, find Year of the Racehorse? Uh, where should they be looking, or when should they be looking for it?
3: In April, and you can probably pre-order on Amazon or in Chapters right now, but it's being published by Greystone Books, Race to Own Books. Greystone Books. Greystone Books. Yes.
1: Not as thematic.
3: Yes. Yeah. still works. Definitely.
1: Right. Sounds great. Um, we've got Stereoscopic Readout coming up next with Darren. Uh, Darren, I think, has a song queued up, but... Uh, Darren, are, are you ready to get, ready. A, get a song going? You've been listening to Peanut Butter and Jams on CITR 101.9 FM, and I will let Darren... Uh, take do? it away. Where
4: we got here? Oh, <laughs> Brittany! one more time. X.